Shalom Lechem, Erev Tov. We are continuing tonight with the life of Shammai, Hazaken, Shammai the Elder. Shammai was the colleague of Hillel who we spent the last two weeks studying about. And I ask you to forgive my voice, my allergies are in full force this week. About Shammai, we know the following. It should say page 810 on top of your PDF. Shammai hazaken mi gedolei chachmei Yisrael b'me'ah shana lifne chuban b'ayit shani. Shammai was the greatest, or of the greatest chachamim, the last century before the destruction of the second Ben Mikdash. Hu v'hilel hazaken chavero hayu b'nei hazug ha'acharon. Hilel and Shammai were the last group of colleagues to make up the last zug of the zugot. Min hazugot she'amidu b'rosh ha'am ma'acharei anshei kinesta gedona. They were the last pair of rabbis to lead alongside each other after the men of the great assembly, the Anshekinah Sekedona. If you recall, I already explained to you the historical background a few weeks ago. That at this point in time, most of the Chachamim had decided to pull away from involvement in government. They saw the corruption that was the end of the Hasmonean Hashmonai kingdom. And they had chosen to shift their attention away from there and into the realm of Torah. As was the case between the Zugot, Hillel Shimesh Nasiya Sanhedrin. Hillel was the Nasi, the prince of the Sanhedrin. Vishamai Hayaav Bedin Al Yado. And Shammai was the head of the Betadin. Zeman Peulatam Chal Hordus V'Yoshav. He was in the days of Herod Hordus and his descendants. Before we discuss about Shammai, an interesting point about the name Shammai. What does the name Shammai mean? Shema, okay. That's an interesting translation. Is there a word in modern Hebrew called the Shammai today? Some people. Not a name. Is there a word? Yes, there is a word. It's a profession. A profession to evaluate the of building, price of property. Estimation. Very good. A Shammai is an evaluator, an estimator. Let's look together. Skip a few pages until you see the writing of Rabbi Yosef and Masas. It should say page 310 at the top of the page. Morai v'rabotai, ladies and gentlemen, more like my masters and teachers. 
Terem Nefaresh Divrei Kocho, says Rabbi Yosef Masaster's community, before I explain to you that which Shammai tells us, I wish to tell you a little bit about his history. We know very little in the Talmud about the history of Shammai. We almost don't know anything about him. He has stories about him, but about where he comes from or who he was or more than that, very little. Says Rabbi Yosef Masas, he was from the tribe of Yehuda, the royal family. He was a descendant of Kalev ben Yifuneh. Who is Kalev ben Yifuneh? Okay, but he was special, more special than the spies. Well, how so? Yoshua and Kalev were those who rebelled against the majority. And they did the right thing. By the way, it should tell you, it should tell you that both Hillel and Shammai come from greatness. Shammai here, his greatness is, in his forefather's blood, is the ability to stand up against the whole Jewish people and do what you think is right. That's in Shammai's lineage. He was a classmate of Hillel when they both studied by Shemaya and Aftalion. And when Hillel was appointed to be a Nasi, to be the prince of the Sanhedrin, Shemaya became the head of the Bedin. Shammai was a great scholar. And he was an expert, he was proficient in 70 languages. When our Chachamim tell us he spoke 70 languages, what are they telling us? Okay, what else are they telling us? He was a scholar, not just of Torah. But he was a scholar also of the world. Shammai was not the narrow-minded person people like to make him out to be. He was a chacham of the highest caliber, and he was proficient in the languages of the world. I spoke about this in my shiur today in the morning. How much of Torah you don't understand when you lack context of the whole world. Language. You mentioned language? Language is important. Our language doesn't exist in a vacuum. That word we just said, Sanhedrin, it's not a Hebrew word. Words that we use in our tefillah, words that we find in our Talmud, words we find the Rishonim use, they're not all from Hebrew. The person is lacking basics of understanding where does our language come from? How do we pronounce the letters in our language? If we're not familiar, even fundamental things we don't understand. There's a fact of history that somehow many Jews feel like we're just a pure and no interaction with the rest of the world for our history, and that's factually impossible. It would be, it would be a terrible thing. If that was the truth. It's kind of like, almost like inbred. Like, like we have the dynamic of the 
I think most Jews, because their Judaism is static, they wish to project backwards on Judaism and pretend it was always static like they are. But it's not. Judaism is a very dynamic uh, worldview. That Shammai was an expert in engineering. All things that had to do with building. Do you remember what he chased him out with? Remember those three gerim that came to convert by Hillel and Shammai? They came to convert, and Shammai chases them out of the Bed Midrash. What does he chase them out of the Bed Midrash with? Do you remember? What is Amata Binyan? Like a big ruler or a teaspoon? A measuring stick? Yeah, some kind of some kind of measuring stick so the Buddha says he's an engineer. Are good at learning Torah, yes. Vegam beteva hadamaha Shammai was an expert in the nature of soil, like we spoke about last week. How so? Hayodea kol makom He knew every place what you should grow in that spot on the earth. And that's why he's called Shammai. Shammai is the Hebrew word for an evaluator, an estimator. He was an expert on telling the difference between different types of soil. There is land, a huge parcel of land. No, a small parcel of land. Which is greater than a large parcel of a hundred amot. Because this small piece of land, Shammai would tell you, it's good for growing herbs and spices that are good for medicine and other purposes. And this huge piece of land is good for growing squash and cucumber and onions and garlic which are a very small price. You know, you think about it. I was driving by cornfields recently. You look and you see, wow, look at all this corn. How much money do you get from corn? Let me compare it with you. Have you ever seen saffron before? Real saffron? When you buy it, how does it come? Tiny little jar with a few like hairs, like tiny. And how much you pay for that? Yeah. There are certain things in the world. You go look at the, you know, nuts in general are expensive. But go look at peanuts and go look at pine nuts. And for a little bag of pine nuts, you could pay $25. And for a big bag of peanuts, you could pay $5. Because just because the earth is good for growing things doesn't mean the earth is good for growing all things or valuable things. Shammai could tell you what your land was worth and would it suggest you to invest in this soil versus that soil. That's why his name Shammai. 
Shamai is still used in modern Hebrew as an evaluator, somebody who evaluates things. Shemo ha'atzmi hayashem. Shamai's real name is Shem. Like who? Kemo Shem ben Noach. Like Shem, the son of Noach. And when he became older and wiser, when he became a person who does what Shammai does, they gave him the name Shammai. Says Rabbi Yosef, my, my source for all of this is a handwritten manuscript which saw this in the writings of one of the Midrashim. And in the book Magen Avot with the Rashbat, I found written in handwriting. Shaviv Shel Shamai, the father of Shamai, Haya Shemo Yishaya, his name was Yishaya, Vimo Shulamit, and his mother's name was Shulamit, Kach Matzakatuv, and that's what he found within there. This is not unusual for Rabbi Yosef Masas to tell you something you've never heard of before and tell you that the source of it is a handwritten manuscript he saw somewhere. I saw an academic lately, a brazen, audacious person, who challenged Rabbi Yosef Masas that every time he wanted to make something up and he didn't have a source for it, he pretended he found it in a handwritten manuscript. Rabbi Yosef Masas was not just an expert in all things connected to Torah, but he was a very worldly person. He loved history, geography. If you look in his letters, there are people who write to him, Rabbi, we once heard about a king who lived in Poland in the 1600s. He had a daughter named this. What was the king's name? And he would answer you what the king's name was. Rabbi Yosef Masas was a chacham in all sense of the word. Rabbi Yosef Masas writes about the tragedies that happened in Morocco, where he would go from home to home, and every time he was in a new house, he would ask to see the libraries of the local city or the neighborhood or the wealthy people, and he would find handwritten manuscripts, and he would copy things over into his notes. And he mentioned sometimes how fires would happen. If there was somebody cooking in the kitchen, or if it was Arabs that were burning down Jewish neighborhoods, and he mentions how he used to see al-Ktaviyad, manuscripts, that are single manuscripts in the world. And the next time he would come to a city, all that was left of that library were the ashes on the floor. Sometimes Rabbi Yosef Masas is the only source that we have for things that his eyes saw and he preserved for us. Rabbi Yosef Masas tells us one more thing. Chidushato, the whole piety of Rabbi Yosef Masas. Mirato, and the greatness of his fear of heaven. 
Yiduim achumot sheitmid b'chol dinei Torah. You can tell based on how pious and particular he was about all the laws of the Torah. Ki ayay yarev v'charet ben chalila yenichshal or yachshil acherim bezed avar shu neged haTorah. He lived his life in constant concern that he would make, do something wrong or cause others to do something wrong. And he was very strict in halacha because of this. And his colleagues, the scholars of the generation, they did not know how to act. To imitate him and to follow in his footsteps, it was impossible. Because most of the community could not be expected to live the life that he was leading. And to follow instead Hillel, they also could not do. They were concerned that maybe on earth the people needed Hillel. But maybe in the eyes of heaven they were expected to do more, like Shammai. Until a voice came out of heaven and told them, both of these, Hillel and Shammai, are the words of the living God. But halakha is like the house of study of Hillel. Because the majority of the world is unable to follow in the ways of Shammai. Compare that paragraph with what you're going to see right now in the encyclopedia that's in front of you. The encyclopedia says, Shamai haya kitsoni. We're back on page three of the PDF. Shamai haya kitsoni b'hashkafat olamo hamusarit kabdanit uvidarchei chayav uminagat. Shamai was a fanatic, an extremist in his worldview, in his ethical particular particularity and in the way in which he lived his life. Rabbi Yosef Masaz sees a pious man who is not out of touch with the world, but his piety leads him to do things that other people cannot do. The author of this encyclopedia sees, like most people, Shammai as a fanatic. Everything is strict, strict. Everything has to be stringent. But that wasn't who... Shammai was, and I have proof. I'll get to my proof in a moment. Shammai's motivator was truth and justice. It didn't make a difference how far he would have to go to pursue truth and justice. Shammai refused to do any type of compromise or to give in on anything. And here we mention a famous teaching. I taught this once to you three years ago, before COVID, the summer before COVID. They say BCE is before the COVID era. Yikov hadin This teaching of Yikov hadin Anyone remember what that sentence means? The law should pierce the mountain. 
I was teaching you then an article of Rabbi Chaim David Halevi about his Rabbi Ravuziel. So that even though we often find Ravuziel compromising, there were times where the halachic stance of Ravuziel was, I don't care what you want, the law is the law, and I will not budge when it comes to this law. The whole building would fall apart. Very good. It could be that these are exactly related to each other. It makes sense to understand Shammai through his profession. It's a good point. It's a good point. You know, on that point, somebody once... I was once speaking with one of the Mekubalim in Yerushalayim. We're talking about the difference between different types of Chachamim. And he explained that according to the Mekubalim, if you look at the Torah as an ethical work, that's meant to bring you closer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, it's meant to bring you to be a better person, it's meant to instill all kinds of character traits in you. So long as you've got the general idea down, like the Rambam says, what is a tzaddik? It's somebody who's good outweighs their bad. So the Mekubalim though, and I'm not arguing for the Mekubalim, simply sharing. The Mekubalim view the Torah as some type of technology, if I could borrow that term. You have a radio. In this room, there are radio waves playing. Yeah, you know, right now, there's Japanese music in this room. There's a news broadcast happening right now. You can't hear it. Why can't you hear it? They're right here. They're playing in this room. Why can't you hear it? Not equipped to do it without an antenna. Very good. You, you need some type of receptor, some type of antenna, some device to pick up these sound waves and translate them into sound that you can understand. When you have a radio in this room, all of a sudden you can hear any news channel you want. You can hear any type of music that you want. What's the difference? You have this technology. According to the Mekubalim, the whole purpose of this world in the Torah is to reach consciousness of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to hear HaKadosh Baruch Hu in this world. And you're given a very specific set of instructions. How to build your radio. This type of chip, this type of wire, this type of battery, this type of screw. This layout, this size, this quality metal. And you could get all the right pieces and most of them are in the right place. But most of them in the right place doesn't mean you're going to hear the news. You're probably just going to end up with a broken radio. That's why the Mekubalim are so particular about even the smallest details. Because to them, the detail is the one thing that's going to make or break whether or not you hear HaKadosh Baruch Hu in this world. It's why their attitude is so particular. It doesn't come from a desire to be fanatic, but of putting a lot of emphasis on every detail. Not just details, but every detail matters. Because we're trying to build a radio that can pick up HaKadosh Baruch frequencies in this room. And if your radio just has most of the parts in the right place, you're not going to hear anything. Shammai, Hayasonet HaShekel VeHaAvel. He hated injustice. VeAfilu Shemetzmeim, even a little bit of them. al for all of these reasons, Nitztayra Demuto Ba'agadat Ha'am Kikabdan. 
that in the memory of the Jewish people, Shammai's image has been portrayed as a very picky, particular person. Who called Shammai a Kabdan? Last week we mentioned them. Who called Shammai a Kabdan? A Kabdan, a strict, particular person, in a negative way. I'll tell you the sentence, you'll tell me who said it. The humility of Hillel, one brought us under the wings of the Shekhinah. was the strictness of Shammai that tried to take us out of this world. Who said it? Oh, Elchanan just answered. The people who came to convert. That's what Elchanan said. Elchanan, good job, that's right. Yes, those Gerim that came to convert by Shammai, he rejected them, but he then accepted them. They called Shammai a Kabdan. What? No, the, the Aftayon is the teacher of them. But this is about the three, the three students that came. Remember the one that teach me the whole Torah, standing on one foot? Or remember, that's that's who we're referring to. If we'll be honest. The particularity of Shammai was not from a place of anger. It came from a very deep seriousness that he took the Torah. And a particularity that he had when observing Torah and ethics. How do we know that? What is the famous teaching of Shammai in Pirkei Avot? Make your Torah your main thing. What does that mean? How do you make the Torah the main thing that you do in this world? Make the right time. Set your time to study. Okay, that's, that's, that's right. Say something more than that. Yeah, except, except for your... <laughs> It's time to learn. You think it's easy for anybody to be learning right now? Everybody works tomorrow. Everybody has to be up in the morning tomorrow. So what's the difference between you and somebody else? You have decided to make your Torah something that the rest of your life revolves around it. And not that your Torah study revolves around the rest of your life. That's the only difference. That's a choice that a person makes. It's not about how much time you study Torah versus how much you don't. It's how important is the Torah to you in comparison to everything else that you do in the world. Shammai says, make Torah your main foundation. Say little, but do a lot. Could be for that reason we don't even know so much about Shammai. Maybe Shammai was all about doing and not about talking. Do you know anyone like that? There are people who talk a lot, but they do nothing. Those people, you can find them in any management, in any organization in the whole world. They talk and 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 they talk, but nothing happens. Somebody showed me a t-shirt that said, I survived yet another meeting that should have been an email. In many people's lives, this is the way the world works. Efficiency, work efficiency. Then there's people who don't talk so much, but by the time you're done talking, they've already finished changing the whole world. That was Shammai. And you should accept and greet every single person with a smiling face. 
בסבר פנים יפות. How does Shammai tell you to greet people? It's with strictness? With anger? Smiling at them. Every person. Rabbi Yosef Masas writes, בסבר פנים יפות, don't say סבר פנים יפות. Say סבל פנים יפות. You should make it your business to tolerate everybody. This is Bolotam. Even you see people you don't necessarily love, but make it your business to greet them with a smiling face. Exactly, put aside what bothers you about them and greet them kindly. Yes, Omadiyah. I think over there saying them right. Maybe firm is better than strict. You know, in our head, strict brings about a negative emotion. It doesn't necessarily have to be a negative emotion. Sternness is very negative. Not necessarily. Shammai takes our Torah very seriously. You know, I'm going to say something now that I, I, I think in every generation you have camps of Jews, of Chachamim, that fit into the realm of Shammai and those that fit into the realm of Hillel. I believe that if you back up for just a moment and you see that Hillel and Shammai work so well alongside each other, you realize that each one needs the other one to keep the world in balance. Hillel unchecked by Shammai could be very dangerous. Shammai unchecked by Hillel would also be very dangerous. You need these two forces in the world. It's not a negative thing to have one and another. It's a positive thing to have both. So much so that our rabbis tell us which machloket is l'shem shamayim, which machloket is a good one, was a righteous one. That was the machloket between Hillel and Shammai. That's chapter 5 of Rakhi Avot. Rak b'makom shara'a yitzedek sham haya mitragez u mitmarmer. And in every place that Shammai saw injustice, that's what brought out of him feelings of anger. Not because he was an angry person. He cared so much about the truth and about justice that injustice triggered him in a way that didn't bother other people. A great example of that is the following story. Yeah. I think the quality of many of our Chachamim is injustice is intolerable to them. Ohave Adonai, Sinua, David HaMelech says, those of you who love Hashem, you must innately hate evil. You can't love Hashem and love evil at the same time. Here he's going to tell us the following thing. Kasher Yonatan ben Uziel. Yonatan ben Uziel, who was a student we mentioned last week of Hillel. Talmido HaGadon Shel Hillel. He was the great student of Hillel. When he gave back these rebellious sons that did not act properly to their father, their money, Shammai got upset. 
he came to Yonatan ben Uziel with his staff and his bag. Anyone know the story that we're talking about here, what he's referring to? Anyone familiar with this story? In Maseret Bara Batra, On page 133, there's a story about a man who had sons that didn't act properly in his lifetime. And he decided not to give his children any of the money that he, when he died, not to give them any of his money. Can a person choose not to give their children money? Yes. 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 It's a choice. So he instead left his money to Yonatan ben Uziel. What did Yonatan ben Uziel do? He sold a third of that money, meaning of the objects he got, he sold them. A third he donated to the Ben Mikdash. And a third he gave back to the children who did not inherit their father. So really he kept a third, he donated a third, and he gave a third to the children who didn't inherit their father. What upsets Shammai so much about that story? That he comes to scream at Yonatan ben Uziel with his stick in his bag. He did not respect the father's Yeah, the father told you he does not want his children to get his money. How dare you do the wrong thing? By the way, simple answer, pshat, pshat, simple answer. How did Yonatan ben Uziel really not listen to the father? Give me an answer for Yonatan ben Uziel. Maybe he knows the sons and he thought they were good. No, it's pretty clear that he thought these children were not great people. Pshat, pshat, don't be scared. Everybody heard, everybody heard my father, he just said that he wants to give me all of his money, you heard? The father inherited the money to who? Who did he give the money to? Can Yonatan ben Uziel now do whatever he wants with that money? It's his. He's not an executor of an estate. He received the money as an inheritor, and now he's doing what he wants to do with the money. But the Hillel still smells of injustice. The father didn't want this to happen. How did he do it? There's special, special sections of the Talmud which talk about how much Shammai was particular about mitzvot, especially the mitzvah of Shabbat, Shabbat and Holidays. 
אמרו עליו, על שמאי הזקן, נשיא הבת שמאי ואלדר, שלא היה זיכרון, השבת זז מתוך פיו. That the memory of שבת was never off of his lips. לקח חפץ טוב, אמר זה לשבת. He bought something new, he said this is for שבת. כלי חדש, a new utensil, אמר זה לשבת. So this is for שבת. Everything he bought, he bought it for שבת. My kids are like that. They buy a new Lego and they keep it for שבת. They buy a new toy, they keep it for Shabbat. They buy a new treat, I'm sure they want it on Wednesday, but they're going to keep it for Shabbat. Like Shammai. Amu alav al-Shammai al-Zaken, they say about Shammai the elder, Kod yamav haya uchel dikhvod Shabbat, his whole life he ate in honor of Shabbat. Every food he ate was in honor of Shabbat. How so? Matzah behemana, he found a nice animal. Amar, he said, Zola Shabbat. This animal, I'm going to buy it for Shabbat. Matzah acheret na'ahemena. Once he found an animal that was nicer than the first one, meniach hadashniyah v'uchelet arishonah. He would leave the second one for Shabbat and he would eat the first one. So the whole week he was busy getting food for Shabbat, the best food for Shabbat. Hayam mechanechet banav mitzvot miyom holadam. He valadam. He... Educated his children to keep mitzvot from the day they were born. From what age do you have to teach your children to keep mitzvot? Eight. What's the age? What's the age called in halacha? From which age? Uh, age of chinuch. There's an education, an age of education. Some say six, some say seven, some say eight, some say nine, some say ten. Nobody says a hundred. There's an age in which you're supposed to teach your children mitzvot. When they're born? This comes from Mishnah and Masachat Sukkah. The Mishnah says that children are exempt from sleeping in the Sukkah. Do children have to go eat in the Sukkah? A child? Two years old. Does my two-year-old have to go eat in the sukkah? No. What did you say, Elchanan? Don't have to go. Does my two-year-old have to sleep in the sukkah? No. Oh, I don't have one? Is that what you're telling me? Elchanan says I don't have a two-year-old. Who knows, Maybe, Maybe you don't know. My three-year-old, they have to sleep in the sukkah? No. Maaseh, the Mishnah says there's a story. And the daughter-in-law of Shammai had a baby. And he cut a hole in the ceiling, or opened up the ceiling, whatever it was made out of, and he put schach on top of the bed of the daughter-in-law, so when his grandson would nurse, he would be nursing inside of a sukkah. And he would sleep, he would be sleeping inside of a sukkah. The Rambam, in his commentary in the Mishnah, says, this was Shammai's opinion. You educate your children to mitzvot from the minute that they're born. When do you teach your child to sleep in the sukkah? From when they're born. When do you teach your child to eat in the sukkah? From when they're born. That's not the halakha. The Rambam Din is not like that. But that was Shammai's opinion.
There are many, many gemarot and teachings of Chachamim that talk about the things that you absorb when you're a child never leave you when you're an adult. There's a famous Chacham. Rabbi Yeshua ben Chananiah, Talmud Yerushalmi says, that every day his mother would bring his stroller, his carriage, to the Ben Midrash, and she would push it into the corner of the Ben Midrash, so his whole life he would hear Limut Torah. Even as late as Rabbi Nachman of Breslev, his mother used to take him to the Ben Midrash of the Baal Shem Tov, to hear the students learning Torah. And he said that he only became a righteous man because of his mother doing that. In fact, Rabbi Nachman of Breslev asked that people only pray for him using his mother's name. For him. Rabbi Nachman Ben. Anybody know? No Breslevers here? Fagan. Very good. Rabbi Nachman Ben Fagan. There was once a story about Shammai. He had to feed his son on Yom Kippurim. And he tried to feed him only with one hand. Like he didn't really want to feed him. And the rabbis forced him that he should feed his, his son with both hands. Let's skip a paragraph. 8.11 it's the third of the PDF, or the fourth of the PDF. So this is 8.11 at the top. We only have very few of the halachot of Shammai that have survived until now. There are only three places in halacha where Hillel and Shammai themselves argued with each other. Not their students, not Bet Hillel and Bet Shammai, but where they themselves argued with each other. On page 812, the top left. The dogma, for example, Vikuach of Yani ben Bet Shammai Bet Hillel. A classic argument between Hillel and Shammai. The, the students of Hillel and the students of Shammai. Tanur Abanana, Rabbi's taught, Ketzad Maragdin Nifna Kala. What do you say when you dance in front of the bride? From here you learn that there is a mitzvah to dance. In front of the bride. How are you going to dance for the bride if she's on the other side of the mechitza? In a wall? In a fortress? You have to dance for her. Bet Shammai Omrim. Bet Shammai says, Say whatever you want to say, but it has to be truthful about her. And Bet Hilen say, what a beautiful, pious bride. The students of Shammai told the students of Hillel, What if she is not beautiful? You're going to say she's beautiful? Maybe she's an ugly bride. The Torah says, You cannot tell a lie. Bet Shammai 
Yiganenu bifana. If somebody buys a bad thing in the store, let's say you go and buy yourself a suit or a dress and you ask your friend, how do I look? And it looks bad. Your friend should tell you you look bad or oh, it's nice. They should tell you it's nice. Because you already did the shop. Betty then says, you should tell them it's nice. Bitch, I clearly says, tell them they look ugly. <laughs> of course you say that you have to say something nice about them. And from here we learn that the Chachamim learned from the students of Yilet. A person should always have their thoughts, their mind involved in that of other people. You should be able to understand what's going on in the world around you, the room around you. Be able to say things that are acceptable with the people that are around you. Now we have a famous teaching in the Talmud that tells us that Hillel and Shammai, their machloket was the Shem Shammai. They were righteous people. They fought for only the purest of motives. The problem is that that's not the only rabbinic tradition we have about the words of Hillel and Shammai. If I may... It could be, yeah. The, there's a place in Masechet Shabbat where Hillel and Shammai argued with each other. At a certain point, they stuck a sword in the bed of Midrash. And they said, whoever wants to come in can come in. But whoever wants to leave, don't you dare try to leave. We have a sword and we're not afraid to use it. Violence is not the answer. And Hillel was so afraid to leave that he stayed and he sat hunched over, humble in front of Shammai like one of the small students. And the rabbis of Masechet Shabbat tell us that that day was as tragic of a day for the Jewish people as the day in which we worship the golden calf. When violence entered the Bet Midrash and forced Hillel into submission in front of Shammai. That's not it. In the Talmud Yerushalmi, in Masechet Shabbat, the Talmud records... that they got in a fight, the students of Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel. Talmidei Beit Shammai amdu lehem milamata v'ayuch hogin b'talmidei Beit Hillel. The students of Shammai stood down below and they started murdering the students of Hillel. Tane, a rabbi's taught us, shisha mihen alu, v'ashar amdu alehen b'charavot uv'ramachim. Six of them went up, and the rest stood over the students of Hillel holding swords and spears. To kill them. The war between Hillel and Shammai students was really a war, it seems like, according to the Talmud Yerushalmi. And it shouldn't surprise you. In the Cairo Geniza, at least according to Rabbi Benilau, 
there was a manuscript that was found there that mentions that in the fourth of Adar, there was a student, a war between the students of Hillel and Shammai, and many of them died. Probably not. And that was one of the days of mourning of the Jewish people, was the day where the students of Hillel and Shammai killed each other. I don't know. Yeah, I know. It's not before Adam. It's before Pesach. Before Pesach. Now, our rabbis seem to have taken an entirely different approach. Hillel and Shammai got along well. Their students were great. Sure, they didn't agree. But they married each other and they studied with each other. They did all kinds of things with each other. So which one is the truth? I don't know. I don't know because I have two conflicting rabbinic traditions. But it seems to me that at least according to our Talmud, that we wish to see Hillel and Shammai, I don't know about their students, but Hillel and Shammai, as two, not rivals, God forbid, but two diametrically opposed leaders who worked alongside each other to bring balance to the Jewish people. And I think that that's something that we don't appreciate anymore. We need everyone to be like us or else. And if you're not like me, then you are X, Y, and Z, and I can never, you and I can't exist in the same universe. There has to be a world in which we appreciate the difference of the other, not just because we tolerate them, because we know that they are vital for our existence. And I think Hillel and Shammai were the greatest teachers of that message that we ever had. Bezat Hashem, may we take on their spirit inside of us and teach Am Yisrael. Not only is it okay to have different opinions and different stances, but sometimes it's exactly what the Jewish people are going to need to survive until the next generation. At this point in time, I'm going to say thank you for learning with me.